1: there believers big show big show coming at you right here I'm bringing on none other than Dr. Laura Sanger Um, I know many of you are familiar with her work I won't bother giving much more of an explanation just get ready to hold on because here she comes Um, we're going to get into spiritual mapping, spiritual warfare the Nephilim agenda. What they're doing t- in today's time. We're, she's going she's gonna to break loose and just help us all to understand what's really going on in this world. What, what nefarious powers are out there seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, right? It's a blessing to have her on. It's just been wonderful it's been a wonderful three years it's been a wonderful experience and I just thank Dr. Sanger for uh, blessing us with her message with her ministry with her word um, if time allows we might get into a little bit about mind control how to break out how to break free from what we've been indoctrinated with um, it's just a it's just a wonderful episode this week and uh Again, thank you guys for all the love and support. If you have a show you want to if you have a story you want to share on the show, holler at me, the bump at gmail.com. If you want to holler at me via text or email or text or voicemail, you can call me on the bump phone 304-812-0553. Feel free to use the P.O. box if there's anything you want me to review, read, share, whatever. going to do a sticker swap. A little merch swap, whatever. It's uh, PO Box 1453 at Chapmanville, West Virginia. 25508. And you can just make that to the Bump Podcast. Um, I'm down there a couple times a week. I'm just going through mail. So, there's a million ways to get a hold of me. Holler at me. But for this week, Please share the show. If you enjoy it, if you know somebody who might enjoy it, don't be ashamed. It's not weird. Everybody's got a story. Share this show. Get the word out. All right. Help the show grow. It only grows by you. All right. There's plenty of room for everybody out here. Share this show. Get the word out. Um, let's go ahead and bring Dr. Laura Sanger on and just take notes write it down her message has already helped me and my family and I know it's going to help yours God bless All right. I missed the record button <laughs> Okay. Oh, Dr. Sanger again thank you for coming on the show um I would like to open it up with just asking you how the Lord led you down this path. What got you into the very specific path that you're on right now?
0: Well, it's one of those things, you know, when we say yes to the Lord, it's like he takes us down these paths we never could have imagined. And I think that's Definitely what I'm living right now, I never intended to write a book on the Federal Reserve, you know I'm a psychologist by profession, and I am not an expert on the monetary system, but I do I, I have this naturally inquisitive mind so I love learning it's one of you know on the Strengths finders test it's one of my top strengths as learner. And so I'm always formulating these questions in my head, you know, to research. And I've actually been involved in some level of research since 1989. And back then I was working at the VA Medical Center in La Jolla, California, and I was in the Department of Psychiatry doing research in schizophrenia, and I absolutely loved it. And so I was hooked. So ever since then, I, like I said, I've been doing some level of research since, And that really has allowed me to bring this skill set along with an expertise in spiritual mapping to really offer a unique perspective on the roots of the Federal Reserve. And so for me, um, you know, this the research that I did for this book, it spans from the dawn of humanity to our current day. And what I do is I identify this Nephilim agenda that has defiled our monetary system and practically every institution in our land. Mm -hmm. And I trace this agenda from the days of Noah to the US dollar. And really, for me, that the journey began in 2014, uh, when I felt the Lord nudge me to write a spiritual mapping prayer brief on the Federal Reserve. And so I did. And, you know, I gathered some intercessors, and we prayed through the targeted prayer strategies that I had identified. And I really thought my assignment was done. But over the next, I would say year and a half or so, the Lord just kept nudging me that I wasn't done with the Federal Reserve. And so finally in 2016, I came back to it and I began researching and writing. And I spent four years doing that, writing this book, uh, The Roots of the Federal Reserve. And throughout the book, I really utilize a lot of spiritual mapping concepts. Um, So I thought maybe if we spent some time talking about you know what is spiritual mapping are you familiar with spiritual mapping
1: um not extremely uh i i would love for you to flesh that all out Uh, does it involve like uh like genealogy too does it does it get into like family history and all that is that what spiritual mapping does or
0: um not Not really. I haven't used genealogy in the spiritual mapping stuff that I've done, but I've had a lot of people recently ask me, can you use spiritual mapping principles on family lines? And to some degree, yes, you can. Um, But more what spiritual mapping is, is it's really, you know, gathering research on the physical, social, and spiritual pulse of a, a community, a city. A state, a region, an institution, a people group, you know, whatever it is, the focus of that mapping assignment is. And it involves digging through history to uncover ancient roots of defilement. So there's three components to spiritual mapping: there's reconnaissance, there's research, and then there's informed intercession. And with reconnaissance, what we do is we'll send teams of people out onto the land to discern what's happened on the land. Now, uh, a biblical example of that, you know, is when Moses sent the 12 spies onto the land of Canaan, or when Joshua sent the two spies onto the land of Jericho. And so what we do is, you know, the team of people that go out onto the land, typically, you know, they're gifted in um, spiritual gifts of discernment. So you know, we can hear the voice of the Lord, we can see into the spiritual realm, and then we can also feel like what what's happened on the land. Mm. And so we'll take notes. um, And then we'll pair that with the research component. And that involves, you know, digging through historical documents, obtaining demographic data, uh, interviewing local people, you know, to see kind of what they think has happened, what they've perceived has happened on the land, and then also we have found really looking through old newspaper articles can be incredibly helpful. And so we take all that information from both the reconnaissance and the research, and we pull it together and we write what's called the spiritual mapping prayer brief. And that has targeted prayer strategies that will inform intercession. Because really what we want to do is we want to equip intercessors, you know, um, that are going to go onto the land to be able to strike at the root of the issue. Now there's four types of iniquity that can defile the land and establish a stronghold and those are sexual perversion idolatry broken covenants and bloodshed. And so what we're doing is we're ascertaining have these things happened on the land because again We want to equip intercessors to be able to be effective in what they do. So, you know, so they can step into that identificational repentance that Daniel 9 speaks about, that they can break off curses that are attached to the land, that they could uproot, you know, wicked structures that have been established. And really to render the king's decrees and release that full measure of blessing that God's intended for the land. And really, the ultimate goal of spiritual mapping is we want to see people set free. You know, we want to see them be able to um, come out from under these territorial strongholds and be set free. We want to see communities transformed. And I want to speak for a moment just on what, you know, transformation looks like in a community. And it's really a product of fervent and united prayer. And that releases the power of the gospel to spread throughout a community. So when this happens, you know, people come into this revelation that Jesus is the son of the living God and they'll surrender their lives to him. And when, you know, the Holy Spirit moves like this throughout a community, typically you see rapid church growth and that's characteristic of revival as well. So what distinguishes revival from transformation is that you'll see enduring change in many aspects of community life. So for example, you might see crime rates drop, broken marriages restored. You know, you might see teachers and principals at schools open to the Bible, and, or open to ha- students having Bible studies and prayer on campus. You'll see businesses flourish. Even, you know, mayors and political officials will um, gather for these large prayer events So those are some of the signs of community transformation. And there's several factors that actually contribute to community transformation. And these were identified by George Otis Jr. And he's the foremost expert in spiritual mapping. He coined the term in 1991. Hmm. And there's five factors that contribute to community transformation. They're persevering leadership, fervent and united prayer, social reconciliation, public power encounters, and then diagnostic research, which essentially is the spiritual mapping. Now, it's interesting, of those five, in the transformations that George Otis and his sentinel group has documented all across the earth, there are two factors that are present in every case of community transformation, and those are persevering leadership in the Christian church And fervent, united prayer. So, these are like the two pillars of community transformation. So, what spiritual mapping does is it really can set the stage for transformation if those two pillars exist. Now, one last way to think about spiritual mapping is uh, you know, it's really kind of this methodical approach to prayer and research. What it does is it combines the subjective, which, you know, is the revelation that comes through discernment. And it combines that with the objective. So that's like the research documentation that I was talking about. Mm. So technically, spiritual mapping provides the intelligence that allows spiritual warfare to be effective. Now, oftentimes, I liken a spiritual mapping team to a special forces unit in the military. So if we think about like Navy SEALs, for example, they'll receive quality intelligence to operate with precision in carrying out their mission. Well, as spiritual mappers, you know, we want to do the same. And so a real important aspect of spiritual mapping then is understanding the different levels of spiritual warfare. So that just kind of gives an overall view of what spiritual. Rose up. Mapping is.
1: Um, that is absolutely perfect. And I've, I've written down a million things <laughs> while, while you're going, uh, these research, you, you research these areas for uh, like a sexual perversion or idolatry, broken covenants, bloodshed. If when these things happen or these disa- like something disastrous happens, does that open the door to like a demonic oppression and occupation in that area? Because I know, like in a human, when you know you face trauma, it kind of puts that little fracture in there and. You know, it, it seems like the the evil spirits can they, they kind of enter through those cracks, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it opens the door to oppression. Right. Um, so on a. Like a geographical region, if disaster strikes and there's a lot of bloodshed or like you you've mentioned these other three criteria, is that is that what it takes for occupation of demonic forces? Or are we dealing with principalities that have been here since the dawn of time?
0: Well, both. So what happens is if there's uh, these these four types of iniquity, I'll use um, bloodshed as an example um, and use a situation that happened in Salt Lake City. So we had a mass shooting um, back in, I think it was 2006 or 2007. And it was at a local, well, a, a mall downtown called Trolley Square. And you know, whenever that sort of thing happens, you you then have bloodshed on the land, and that can, as you say, it can open the door to strongholds being established over that that piece of land or spread over that region. And so, you know, we knew this as a spiritual mapping team that it was important to be able to go in and pray on site and cleanse the land because, when there isn't that identificational repentance that's offered up and again that comes from daniel 9 um when when we don't repent for the atrocities that have happened on the land then the land isn't cleansed and so uh the people that live under a stronghold or live in that area can be affected by that stronghold and and not even know it and what happens is it almost acts like a magnet attracting more bloodshed, more atrocities to that area. And so um, what we did as a spiritual mapping team is several months after uh, you know, this mass shooting is we went onto the land at Trolley Square and we prayed all throughout that location, not only praying for the families that lost their loved ones, praying for the employees that experienced the trauma, but praying for the land itself um, to break off those, that iniquity, that bloodshed and the curses that are attached to that. And so um, it's just, it's really important. And so from that point forward, um, as far as I know, there has not been more bloodshed on that land. And in fact, about nine years later, a church uh, started in Trolley Square. And so they were offering up true worship and, and again, just, uh, offering that land as a sacrifice as an altar um of honor to the lord if that makes sense and so it's really important um to be aware of what has taken place on the land cuz like i said it can affect the people that live there without them even knowing it
1: right right and i, I think this needs to happen everywhere <laughs> you know while you're describing this i'm like it's it sounds so beneficial to areas like where i was born and raised where there was once something thriving you just see like this this darkness take over and it just compounds and it needs to be broke free yes. um, I, I, I love it and i'm also i'm I, i'm a teacher and we just went over a, a certain topic in class um about the wellness triangle is what we call it the spiritual mapping Sounds so much like those building blocks. Uh We have the the physical and the social and emotional wellness, you know, in a person because, you know, we're in school, we don't say the spiritual <laughs> <real> <laughs> right. wellness, but it's, I love how it relates directly to, you know, locations um affecting large communities beyond just the self. I, I'm just, I'm soaking it in. I just—I don't mean to interrupt. I just—I'm I, loving everything you're saying here. It's making so much sense, and I'm ready to to go out there and be a mapper. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's going on here? Awesome. Um, I do have—I mean, I'll say this at the end too, but I do have a series on my YouTube channel, um, a seven-part series that's called Transformation Through Spiritual Mapping yes. that um, teaches a lot of these principles, and I share a lot of stories of what we've done um, in praying in different areas but also the mistakes we've made so people don't make the same mistakes uh, because there's a lot that you can learn from people that have gone you know before us and so I wanted to offer that for folks that are interested in doing spiritual mapping. listen to that series I give a lot of biblical foundation. Um, and then the practical, I talk about how we apply this, what we've done, and again, the mistakes that we've made.
1: Absolutely. I'll, I would definitely check that out. And I'll, um, like you said, at the end, we'll go through that and try to make sure that everybody has a, a clear way of finding it. I don't think it would be that hard. You're pretty popular. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you you're starting to talk about uh, how this relates to spiritual warfare. Also, yes, yes. um, that that's something I've been passionate about, uh, for the last couple of years. It's become much more of a reality. Um, it once I realized what I think my calling is, it made sense of a lot of things I've been through in my life. Mm. Um, pieces fell in place where I realized why I am at the the, the place in my life that I'm at. Um. Would you please go into, you said there's different types of spiritual warfare?
0: Yes, yeah, um, different levels.
1: Would Would you go into that for me? Would you mind?
0: Absolutely. So, you know, we really can learn a lot about spiritual warfare when we consider how God used both Paul and John in the city of Ephesus. Mm. So I want to give a little bit of background first, historical context for the city of Ephesus. So, in Paul's day, uh, you know, it was this bustling, progressive city. It had anywhere between 200,000 to 250,000 people in it. And it actually was known as the mother city of Asia because it was located at, you know, the crossroads of major trade routes. So, here you have uh, both affluence and influence um, happening in the city. And, you know, it really attracted a lot of people from around the world. Now, the Ephesians, they were steeped in witchcraft, paganism, and idolatry. In fact, the Ephesians worshipped a pantheon of gods, and the central figure was Artemis. Mm-hmm. So in Ephesus, you know, you have the location of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and that was the Temple of Artemis. And this temple was extraordinary. In fact, the amphitheater alone sat 25,000 worshipers. Wow. And then in this temple, you have the bank of Ephesus and, you know, they had coins with the image of Artemis on it. So that kind of gives you an idea of what Ephesus was like back then. So when Paul arrived, you know, he looked for believers and he found about 12 believers in the city of Ephesus and he began talking to them and teaching them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit well they hadn't heard of it so they were eager to receive the holy spirit so paul laid hands on them and they were baptized in the spirit and began speaking in tongues and prophesying and then paul then went and taught in the synagogue and then also in the hall of tyrannus because he wanted jews and gentiles throughout that province of asia to be able to know the word of the Lord. And what happened is, you know, God started moving in extraordinary ways through Paul, demonstrating the power of the gospel. And so light was breaking through the darkness. Now, Paul was operating in what's called ground level spiritual warfare because he was healing the sick and he was driving out demons. And he really became such a conduit of the power of God that even the handkerchiefs that he touched you know, they transmitted the power of God in such a way, you know, that people who touched those handkerchiefs were healed of illnesses and set free from demonic possession. Well, As you can imagine, you know, the demonstration of this power through this ground level warfare was so extraordinary that several of the Ephesians wanted to try doing it themselves. And, you know, the cultural norm that was established in Ephesus at that time was to use magic spells and incantations and curses to manipulate circumstances and people. And so the sons of this Jewish chief priest named Sceva, you know, they errantly thought that they could use the magic formula to release power that would cast out demons. Right. And so they went around Ephesus trying to cast out demons, reciting the incantation in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, "I command you to come out." And those of us familiar with the story knows what you know. We know what happens next. Oh, yeah. You know, these <laughs> sons of Sceva. They quickly realized that the power of God cannot be accessed by incantation. And they were overpowered by these evil spirits. You know, they were stripped naked, beaten so bloody they nearly died. Well, imagine that. So word travels fast throughout Ephesus of this power encounter that just happened. And a great fear had fallen upon the people. And that's because the power of Jesus was rendering their witchcraft and their sorcery inept. And so their occult practices were no match for the power of the one true God. And so consequently, the name of Jesus was greatly honored. Now, C. Peter Wagner, he wrote a book called Confronting the Powers, and he describes three levels of spiritual warfare. So ground level warfare, then there's occult-level warfare. And strategic level warfare. So, with the ground level warfare, as I mentioned, you know, that's what Paul was doing when he was healing the sick and driving out demons. Occult level warfare is when we confront practitioners of magic arts through the power encounters that demonstrate, you know, this authoritative power of Yahweh. Then, strategic level warfare is when we dismantle the strongholds that are set up by territorial spirits over a city, a region, or a nation. Yes. So then in thinking about what Paul did in Ephesus, so he engaged in ground-level warfare and occult-level warfare, but he did not engage in strategic-level warfare. So we have to ask ourselves why. You know, Was the power of God not enough to dismantle the strongholds of the territorial spirit of Artemis? We know the power of God is strong enough. So that's not the reason I think it has to do with timing. It wasn't the Kairos or the opportune time to step into that strategic level warfare. And I want to read an excerpt from C. Peter Wagner's book, because he really emphasizes a crucial principle regarding strategic level warfare. He says, when Paul left Ephesus, Diana of the Ephesians had been thoroughly embarrassed and her power had been severely weakened. Sometime after Paul left Ephesus, the apostle John went there to live and to minister. We saw that during Paul's ministry there, he did not enter the temple of Diana or Artemis, nor did he engage the territorial spirit in overt strategic level spiritual warfare. John did both of these things. An obvious question arises, why, why was it that Paul did not go into the temple of Diana, but John did? The answer is simple, because it rests on a principle, and strategic-level warfare proceed only on God's timing. Both Paul and John had the discernment and the experience to know this principle well. I would surmise that if Paul had violated the principle and gone into Artemis' temple to take her on, he rather than her altar, might have ended up split in pieces. It's dangerous to trifle with territorial spirits. And so that really emphasizes that with strategic level warfare, you know, that the apostle John engaged in, in order for us to understand it, we have to turn to this apocryphal writing called the Acts of John. Now, the Acts of John are not in the canonized scripture, but we can look to it as a useful historical document, because what it does is it informs us as to the nature of John's experience in Ephesus prior to his banishment in the island of Patmos. So uh, what happens is John arrives in Ephesus after Paul leaves, and he arrives during this festival that's honoring the birthday of Artemis. Well, it was on that day of celebration that the Kairos moment came for strategic level warfare. So, all these worshipers are gathered in the temple of Artemis and they're all wearing white robes. And this is, you know, for the celebration of the birthday of Artemis. Well, John shows up in a black garment and he sensed the magnitude of the moment. And this is what he tells the frenzied worshipers. So, this is out of the Acts of John. 40 through 44, and it's written in like old English. So bear with me as I read it. For now, is it time that either you be converted by my God or I myself die by your goddess? For I will pray in your presence and entreat my God that mercy be shown unto you. And having so said, he prayed thus, O God that art God above all that are called gods, that until this day has been set at naught in the city of the Ephesians, that didst put into my mind to come into this place, whereof I never thought, that dost convict every manner of worship by turning men unto thee, at whose name every idol fleeth, and every evil spirit, and every unclean power. Now also by the flight of the evil spirit, hear at thy name, even of him that deceiveth this great multitude, show thou thy mercy in this place, for they have been made to err. And as John spake these things immediately, the altar of Artemis was parted into many pieces and all the things that were dedicated in the temple fell and the half of the temple fell down so that the priest was slain at one blow. The multitude of the Ephesians therefore cried out, one is the God of John. One is the God that hath pity on us. For thou only art God. Now are we turned to thee, beholding thy marvelous works. Have mercy on us, O God, according to thy will, and save us from our great error. So here they're repenting. And some of them lying on their faces made supplication, and some kneeled and besought, and some rent their clothes and wept, and others tried to escape. But John spread forth his hands and being uplifted in soul, said unto the Lord, Glory be to thee, my Jesus, the only God of truth, for thou that dost gain thy servants by diverse devices. And having so said, he said to the people, Rise up from the floor, ye men of Ephesus, and pray to my God, and recognize the invisible power that cometh to manifestation and the wonderful works which are wrought before your eyes artemis where is the power of the evil spirit where are her sacrifices where her birthdays where her festivals where are the garlands where is all that sorcery and the poisoning witchcraft that is sister there too but the people rising up from off the floor went hastily and cast down the rest of the idol temple crying the god of john only do we know and him hereafter do we worship since he hath had mercy upon us. I love that. When you think about the imagery of that, so here is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. John comes in in that Kairos moment, that opportune time that was orchestrated by the Lord. And he brings forth that, that power. He walks in that authority and dismantles this territorial spirit of Artemis. And it is amazing. And, you know, he, he operates in that authority that Christ has given him as Christ's ambassadors. And he just takes dominion over that principality of Ephesus. So, you know, buildings are falling and the, the priest was slain. I mean, that is remarkable. And so what, you know, I share this because it's an, it's a great example of the three different levels of spiritual warfare, Paul operated in the first two, then John comes in because Paul did the work that the Lord called him to do, right. it weakened the hold that Artemis had over that territory. And that allowed John to come in after him and step into that Kairos moment. And so I want to encourage people, you know, not all of us are called to do strategic level warfare where we are tearing down territorial strongholds. But all of us are called to do ground level warfare. In fact, in, in Mark, um, the Great Commission, it tells us to do this level of warfare. And this is verse 15 through 18 in Mark 16. It says, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is baptized, excuse me, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. That's the ground level warfare. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and they and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So we are all called to this ground level warfare. And I think it's important, you know, as I share about this, to understand the tactics of the enemy. Uh, You know, and that prepares us better for the spiritual battle that we're called to. And that's one of the things, you know, that I identify in my book is this Nephilim agenda that was launched from the dawn of humanity. And it's been impacting us ever since.
1: If you're like me and you like to go camping, hiking, hunting, um, just be prepared in general, then uh, I recommend you check out Squatch Survival Gear. Their packs are 100% made in America. Each component on the packs are American-made. It's a veteran-owned company out of Texas. Um, it's my buddy, Chris. He started this out of personal experience um, in his military service. He he fashioned these packs, you know, off of packs that he used that he had to modify to make them something that uh, is more, more convenient, easier to carry, less of a load on your body, and the, let the pack do the work. They're amazing, I own two. I have the uh, the Rock Ape and the Mothman pack. I love them, they're the best bags I've ever had in my life. These bags are bomb proof. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. Plus they're comfortable. When I have them on, I can carry around, I can hike with 25, 30 pounds. And it it doesn't strain my body. The pack does the work. Um, You have to see them for yourself. So go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com to check them out. If you decide to purchase one of these bags, use my promo code. It's 23Bump this year. Okay? It's 23B-U-M-P. Use that promo code and it'll save you 15% site-wide. These these are packs of all sizes. You know, if you want something you know small everyday carry, or if you want some kind of uh, go bag, like uh, I'm not coming home bag, he's got them. Check them out: SquatchSurvivalGear.com. Promo code twenty three bump. Yes, the Nephilim agenda. Now, for those that may not be familiar um, with the Nephilim, the or the Genesis six event right Mm -hmm. um can can you get into the the nephilim agenda i've talked about it a couple times in my show where it's you know a a plot basically to end the messianic bloodline right right um but could you could you go into the that nephilim agenda
0: yes yeah so essentially it was unleashed during the days of noah and it's the plan to defile the human genome through the propagation of a hybrid race. Now, the purpose of that is to, um, you know, stage this coup d'etat against the Lord Almighty. And the origins of this Nephilim agenda are found in the seed war of Genesis 3. And I'll read uh, verse 14 and 15. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So what we see here in this passage is as a result of the fall, Yahweh declared war between the seed of Eve, which is humanity, and the seed of Satan. So one day Eve's seed would crush Satan, and we know this to be the prophetic declaration of the coming Messiah, right? So then what satan's strategy was was to contaminate the seed of the woman by altering the genetic code of humans now this is where the fallen sons of god they become integral in satan's strategy and we read about this both in genesis 6 but also in the extra biblical text of the book of enoch yes and so these fallen sons of god you know they chose to leave their heavenly abode and they invade the earth realm by descending upon mount hermon and from there You know, they lust after the daughters of men. They take them as wives. They mate with them and they defile the human genome by birthing this hybrid race of giants known as the Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim are the seed of Satan, they're created in his image. So, in my book, The Roots of the Federal Reserve, what I did is I I recognized that the Lord was impressing upon me to, to develop this set of proposed criteria that would help us discern the presence of Nephilim traits within individuals. So in chapter 13 of my book, what I do is I identify four physical traits and 19 behavioral characteristics of the Nephilim and their giant offspring. And I do this because we must not be deceived in thinking that the Nephilim only roamed the earth during the days of antiquity. So there's Nephilim and Nephilim hosts alive today. Now, a Nephilim host is a term that I coined in my book, and it represents a human, that has partnered with the spiritual forces of darkness to carry out the Nephilim agenda. So these would be people that, you know, meet the proposed criteria in chapter 13. And I think, you know, many of them are the titans of global governance. So these would be the global elites over banking, over industry, media, academia, you know, healthcare, big tech, big pharma, the political establishment. Well, these Nephilim hosts, they are intent on destroying the followers of Jesus, while enslaving the masses through control, domination, and intimidation. Now, at the core of this Nephilim agenda is the goal to strip us of our humanity. You see, they hate the fact that we are created in the image of God. And so they want to defile our human genome. And one of the ways they're trying to go about this is by, you know, hijacking our bodies and turning us into hybrids. But in order to do that, they first have to hijack our mind. Well, it turns out that there are these biological parasites that are capable of controlling our minds, and this is just one of the means by which the Nephilim agenda is advancing today.
1: Okay, let me ask you this, because um, I've heard you—I heard you talk about this on. Uh, it might have been on Blurry Creatures. You were you were discussing this about these biological parasites, um, used you know, to control the mind and affect the body. Right. And it's mm-hmm. all part of the Nephilim agenda. I, I know you, you've went into before on how to remove these parasites. Right. Um, And forgive me if I just have like a really, like a real elementary way of understanding things, mm-hmm. but by removing these parasites is it almost like a physical exorcism uh what i'm saying is like these biological parasites these things in your body are these like the physical embodiment of demonic forces so when when you cleanse okay. yourself you're physically getting rid of demons or or demonic power is, is that is that what this is
0: That's a really good question. I've not thought of it that way. Um, So I don't know if the parasites themselves would be the demons, but they certainly are used by what I would say are these Nephilim hosts. Um, And so maybe what I can do is like describe how these parasites are part of this Nephilim agenda and then how to cleanse them because we really have to combat it body, soul, and spirit because we're triune beings. Um, and so, yes, we want to go after getting these parasites out because they're a tool of the enemy. I I believe that for sure. Um, but I love your question. That's interesting. You know, when I, I'd have to say when I coined the term Nephilim host in my book, I was not thinking of parasites at all. In fact, it wasn't until, so my book was published in November of 2020, And it wasn't until about six months ago, the Lord kept nudging me to study parasites. And so I did. And I have to say, it is not for the faint of heart um, doing that kind of research. And I don't recommend doing it while eating. I made that mistake because it is disgusting. Some of the things that you read and see. But, you know, once I realized that these parasites have the ability to control our mind, I was like, game on, like, I'm going after these things. I'm going to expose them for what they are. And so it turns out that more than 60 million Americans are infected with parasites and they can cause a wide range of diseases. Now, one of the things that I like to do um, in my book is I perform um, what I call an archaeological dig on language. And so I look at the etymology of words, and that's really what unlocked all these things that have been hidden in the shadows um, and tied all the pieces together in my book. And so with studying these parasites, I thought I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to look at you know, the ancient Greek word and Hebrew words for parasite or worms. And it turns out that it uncovers an interesting connection to Nephilim hosts. So let me unpack this a little bit. Yes. So the ancient Greek word for parasite is parasitosis. And it means a person who eats at another's table. So that kind of um, is a lot more of what a societal parasite is. Then one of the Hebrew words for worm is tola. And that means scarlet, worm, Mm. crimson, or maggot. So right there for me, I found that interesting that one of the Hebrew words for worm has to do with the color red, scarlet and crimson. Because in my investigation of the roots of the Federal Reserve, the color red was a symbol that was this consistent thread all throughout history uncovering this nephilim agenda now the genesis of the color red being a calling card so to speak for the nephilim agenda is when esau transformed to edom see the hebrew word for edom is adam and it means to be red and so what esau did is he actually filled his hands with murderous blood when he was out on the fields killing others when he should have been in the tent making the red lentil stew because the red lentil stew was this traditional meal of comfort that the eldest son would make for the grieving father. Isaac was grieving the death of Abraham. So Esau should have been the one in the tent instead of Jacob, but he was out on the fields, killing others, filling his hands with murderous blood when he came into the tent, he was willing to trade his birthright for that red lentil stew. And that transaction actually sealed, you know, it it constricted his allegiance to a particular seed. And that is the seed of Satan. And so when I discovered that, I then began following the trail of the Edomites. Um, And along that trail, more and more often uh, this color red began surfacing as far as the Nephilim agenda. And so, you know, when you think about um, the color red, certainly, uh, you know, when you th- if you're asked what color would represent Satan, you know, in, in artwork and that sort of thing, the color red certainly is that. Yeah. Then uh, when you recognize that the name Rothschild means red shield, that's another <laughs> indication. You know, the Rothschilds are arguably the most influential Nephilim hosts of the common era. But then even in our day and age, you know, you think about the spirit cooking that Maria Abramovich is involved in, and she's obsessed with using blood as her medium of artistic expression. Mm-hmm. Then you have, you know, red shoes representing pedophilia. Mm-hmm. And then even the term in the red, meaning to be in debt, right. again, all of that is part of the Nephilim agenda. And so when I discovered that the he- one of the Hebrew words for worm means crimson or scarlet i i was like is this yet another example of red being a calling card of the nephilim agenda and i believe it is and here's why if we dig a little deeper the hebrew root word for worm is yallah, and it means to speak rashly talk wildly to blurt out inconsiderably and to devour now for me that speaks more of how, you know, how you would describe a Nephilim host rather than a worm. And so what I began to do then is I looked at these 19 behavioral characteristics that I had identified in my book of a Nephilim host, and I began looking at them through the lens of parasitic behavior. And I realized that 12 of these characteristics actually describe a social parasite, and that would be someone who exploits another for their own personal gain. And so I wanna read these 12. Again, these are um, 12 of the behavioral characteristics of Nephilim hosts. Lustfulness in conjunction with sexual misconduct. A pervasive pattern of instability in relationships marked by control, manipulation, intimidation, and domination over others. Haughty and prideful as if above reproach. Vengeful or inappropriate, intense anger. Reoccurring violent acts displaying disregard for the rights of others. Lack of remorse for heinous acts against other living beings. Dishonesty in trade and business transactions, a propensity toward corruption. Sexual perversion involving pedophilia, sexual domination of others against their will, and/or bestiality trafficker of humans engage in cannibalism commit human sacrifices and the enslavement of others okay so now if we go down this rabbit hole just a little bit deeper you know as i mentioned at the core of the nephilim agenda is this goal to strip us of our human you know of our humanity and they want to hijack our bodies and turn us into hybrids but in order to do that, they have to hijack our mind first. So again, back to these biological parasites that can hijack our mind. Um, you know, we, we know this thanks to the growing field of neuroparasitology. And that examines the impact that parasites have on our central nervous system. So now we know, you know that these parasites can actually alter the behavior of their host and actually hijack the host decision-making process, which is alarming. You know, parasites, it turns out, are these masters of chemical and biological warfare. They specialize in mind control and molecular mimicry. So parasites then can influence a host on multiple levels, you know, from DNA all the way to social interaction. And how they do that is they disrupt the host's perception of reality and they control their behavior. So I want to give some examples of this. Now there's a parasite called uh, T-toxoplasma gondii or T-Gondii for short. And this is found in cat feces and also undercooked meat. And it turns out that 30% of the world's population is infected and 22% of U.S. citizens are infected with T-Gondii. Now it can lay dormant in our body for years, but what it does is it prefers to invade our lymph nodes, our brain, our heart and our lungs. And so what it does is it manipulates the behavior of the host by using epigenetic processes to alter the genes in the amygdala. So stimuli that normally would trigger you know a feared response actually activates sexual arousal instead, and that leads to a fatal attraction phenomenon. So what you have is you have the host will become less risk aversive. Now, an example of this is in rats. Infected rats are actually sexually aroused by the smell of cat urine. So then they're drawn towards the cat, which proves to be fatal. Isn't that crazy?
1: That is.
0: (laughs) And then in infected humans... Risky situations that normally, you know, would trigger a feared response are actually perceived as benign situations. In fact, infected people have an increased attraction to deviant sexual practices. So let me give you an example of this. Um, What they have found is that women who are infected with T. Gandhi have an increased attraction or desire for bestiality, which is one of the behavioral characteristics of a Nephilim host. Yeah. Men that are infected with T. Gandhi have an increased desire or attraction for sexual practices that include bondage, rape, and violence. Also behavioral characteristics of Nephilim host. Well, then, as I was researching further, I found you know, that T. Gandhi is also correlated with neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, but also mental illnesses such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Now, for me, this was particularly fascinating because in the early part of my career as a psychologist, I specialized in schizophrenia. And so what I discovered with this research is it turns out that the people that are infected with T. Gandhi are 270% more likely to develop schizophrenia And that shows that one fifth of the cases of schizophrenia are attributed to parasites. And not only that, people with T. Gandhi have higher rates of suicide. Now, if I were still practicing doing clinical work, I retired about 10 years ago, I would want all of my clients as part of their treatment plan to do a parasite cleanse because I would wanna know how much of the mental illness that they're presenting with is a result of these parasites And how much is, you know, your traditional mental illness. And so I would have folks, you know, do a parasite cleanse under the supervision of a naturopath or a functional integrative medicine doctor. And then once they've done this parasite cleanse, then we can develop the rest of the treatment plan. Now, another interesting thing about parasites is that they are associated with homosexuality. Now, in, 19, in the 1980s, there was two different studies um, separated by about three years and conducted by two different research teams. So they had nothing to do with each other, in other words, but they found the same exact thing. And that was that there's a 400% increase of, in prevalence of intestinal parasites within homosexual men versus heterosexual men. And since then I've read many anecdotal reports from homosexual men that set, that report that once they've done a parasite cleanse they stop craving anal sex. So for me this suggests the need for further research in this area. You know, I think this would be groundbreaking research because we need to understand how much our parasites actually driving homosexual behavior. Now, of course, research like this probably wouldn't get funded, first of all. And if it were funded, would probably be censored because, you know, it, it would unravel the narrative of the LGBTQ agenda. Right. And I think this explains why the most recent research connecting parasites with homosexuality was 35 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to touch it, right?
1: Right, right. Now,
0: some more um, recent research... Uh, this is in 2015, found a link between cannibalism and parasites. So researchers found that freshwater shrimp with this common parasite called uh, Pleistophora mulleri, they had an increased rate of cannibalism versus non-infected shrimp. And so the presence of this parasite within shrimp actually made them effective foragers of younger shrimp. Now, me, with my naturally inquisitive mind, I'm thinking, is this true for humans as well? Because we're seeing an uptick in cannibalism. Yes. And once again, this is a behavioral characteristics of Nephilim hosts. Now, I want to also draw our attention to the fact that Nephilim hosts have weaponized parasites against us as a form of bio warfare. And I have this um, good friend, his name is Mitchell Florin, and If you've heard some of my other podcasts, I I give him a lot of uh, credit because he's like a personal professor for me, which I absolutely love. (laughs) And he's probably one of the most brilliant um, men I've ever, well, brilliant humans I've ever encountered. And he was um, a biopharmaceutical microbiologist, and he is a whistleblower on Big Pharma. And so he's kind of helped me connect the dots here with what I'm going to share So first of all, it's important for us to understand that all pathogens are parasitic in nature, but not all parasites are pathogens, okay? So a parasite, it needs a living host to survive. So technically speaking, viruses are parasitic in nature.
1: Right.
0: And Mitchell defines a virus as a small obligate intracellular parasite which by definition contains either an RNA or DNA genome surrounded by a protective virus coated protein coat. Okay, so now we we think about how have parasites been weaponized against us? And one example is Lyme disease. Lyme disease was unleashed as a bioweapon. Now Mitchell describes Lyme disease as an obligately parasitic, tick-transmitted invasive persistent bacterial pathogen That causes disease in humans and non-reservoir vertebrates primarily through the induction of inflammation so what you have is back in the 1950s these ticks were weaponized with the help of nazi scientists from operation paperclip Mm -hmm. in conjunction with fort dietrich's offshore germ warfare animal disease lab on plum island so then in 1975 you get this strange disease occur in old Lyme, Connecticut. And that's where Lyme disease gets its name. Well, it turns out that there's this bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi, and it's carried by these ticks because the ticks were weaponized with this bacteria. And that's what causes Lyme disease. Now Lyme disease attacks the central nervous system and it causes these debilitating symptoms. Now, a more recent example of parasites being weaponized against us is in the COVID injection. So Dr. Robert Young, he identified the trypanosoma parasite in the Pfizer jab. Now this parasite can be lethal by causing inflammation in the heart muscle and the neural membranes.
1: Hmm.
0: So strains of trypanosoma in Africa, for example, cause a fatal disease called sleeping sickness. And then North American strains of trypanosoma cause a fatal disease called Chagas disease. Now, in addition, you know, it's also found that AIDS patients have a high prevalence of trypanosoma in, in them. So my question is what on earth is Pfizer doing putting a trypanosoma parasite in the jab? You know, it makes me wonder, is this part of the died suddenly phenomenon? And so. You know, I share all this because we have to be aware of how we're being attacked, body, soul, and spirit by these parasites. But the good news is that, you know, the Lord provides a way out um, of this mind control.
1: Yes. It, it attacks the heart and the lungs. It, it sounds like, uh, especially the with the heart, the myocarditis. Exactly.
0: Right. right. Right.
1: I I guess that's why they're saying, well, you know, we've, we've all learned a lot in the last few years. Let's, uh, let's just call, call a truce and not bring up that, the vaccine injury so much. Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: Oh, well, keep exposing. Come on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, as concerning as all of this is, you know, one of the things that I want to encourage us with is no matter what Nephilim hosts try to throw at us, Jesus already has a solution for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the the things that is a rock in my life, because I, I researched some really dark stuff, but remembering the fact that Jesus is our living hope, which means our hope never dies. It means we're never without hope. And I love that. And you know, I don't share about parasites to stir up fear in people. Um, what I'm doing is I'm trying to help us all understand the battle that we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So now that we have this knowledge, we have to remember to walk in 2 Timothy 1:7, which says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, back to what we were talking about earlier, how we're these triune beings, you know, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit well, we're being attacked on all three levels. And so we need to know how to fight on all three levels. So to attack these mind altering organisms on the level of our body, we want to consider doing a parasite cleanse. So for those people, you know, who own cats or who have been outside of the U S it's a high likelihood you might have parasites inside of you. And again, they cause a wide range of disease and can alter our thinking. And so let's not give these mind-altering organisms free range in our body. Now, there's all sorts of ways to do parasite cleanses. And Mitchell Florin, um, he put together a protocol um, that I have on my website, which is no longer enslaved.com. And I have an article called Parasite Free in 23. And in that article, um, at the end is this protocol. And it's essentially a light detox. And it's for people who don't have comorbidities and who don't, who are not taking pharmaceuticals. If you do have comorbidities and are taking pharmaceuticals, you want to do a parasite cleanse that is supervised by either a naturopath or a functional integrative medicine doctor. Because there can be complications and it's just better if you do it under supervision. But for those who can do the light detox, um, it's important to remember that going slow is better than doing a fast detox, because if you go fast, your body um, is releasing all these toxins, but can actually reabsorb them before you can um, get them out because you're going so fast and you can get really, really sick. So it's important to remember as you're doing a parasite cleanse, just think about doing it slowly. You know, I did, I did Mitchell's protocol, um, and you, you do it for a month and then you take about a two week break and then you do it for two months. And, and so it's, you know, long period of time that you're doing it over. And for me, um, you know, it, it was manageable, very manageable. I hardly had any, um, negative side effects, uh, from doing this, this parasite cleanse, Um, So if people are interested, you know, you can just look at that cleanse um, on my website, but also, you know, ivermectin is an anti-parasitic medication, right? And is probably the reason why it was demonized from the get-go. But one thing to remember with um, doing the ivermectin is you have to take the proper dosage and it's according to your weight. And so it's important for people Um, you know, to do their own research, to figure out how much ivermectin they should be taking and how often. Um, And I would pair that also with um, some of the, the things in the protocol that Mitchell um, recommends, but whatever parasite cleanse folks do, the point is, is we don't want these mind altering organisms in our body any longer. Right. So we want to get them out um, of our body, but then we also want to remember that we're soul and spirit. And we have to, we have to hit this on that level as well. And if we remember Romans 12, two, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. Well, when I was, um, thinking about this and I was like, well, what is, exactly does it mean to renew your mind? And I love digging into scripture. And so I looked at the Greek word for renew mm-hmm. and it's on And it means not only to renew, it means renovation and it means a complete change for the better. And it comes from the root word on a which means to cause, to grow up, to make new To be changed into a new kind of life as opposed to the former corrupt state (laughs) so i love that because what what jesus is telling us is that we can renew our mind day by day you know our brains are designed with neuroplasticity which means they regenerate they're malleable and adaptable and so we want to renew our mind day by day with scripture. And in fact, one of the things that I do when I, I pray on my spiritual armor every day Now, some Amen. people are like, why do you do that? Do you ever take it off? Well, I do it daily just as a reminder that I am in a spiritual battle. So I don't become complacent. Amen. And when I do put on my spiritual armor, I also pray. I'm like, Lord, I want my mind to bind to the mind of Christ Because Mm. I want my thoughts to align with his thoughts. And that's going to help me renew my mind every day to get out the junk, to get out the stinking thinking. I'm going to take every thought captive and make sure it aligns with Christ. And when we do this, we recognize the power that resides within us. Because the name of Jesus alone is more powerful than any parasite that's trying to control our mind. Amen. And the blood of Jesus speaks a better word, and I love Romans eight because it tells us that we are more than conquerors, yeah, right? If right. God is for us, who can be against us? That's so the, this is how we we fight against those parasites and that nephilim agenda on all three levels.
1: I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. That was perfect. Uh, yep. This parasitic cleanse, okay, and one. Let me just say. That was perfectly said. You know, that, that was beautiful. It is on all levels. And I'm, I've i had in my kitchen cupboard here for uh, a few months, probably since over the winter, when I heard you talking about this on another show, this parasitic cleanse. I bought some of this um, wormwood, the green, green walnut thing it mm-hmm. is. Now, I got it in the liquid form and I got it in the pill form. I didn't know which one to go with. I've been holding off on it because I, you know, I don't want to have to run out of the classroom on a clean. You know, <laughs> right. I, I didn't know what it was gonna do. You know what I mean? I right. was be honest. Right. Uh but my wife, when I, when I told her what the purpose was, and I was talking to her and she listened to a segment of this uh that you did with blurry creatures. She I said, I think it was oh,
0: actually it was um the confessionals podcast was it tony merkel about? when i okay. talked about parasites okay
1: yeah it, it probably was i i mix i mix up these shows i listen to them too much but uh she she said well it's interesting that it's referred to as wormwood she said i thought wormwood was a bad thing mm. you know so is there is there uh any word play on that as to why it's referred to as wormwood is it just a color or
0: well if you look up um so wormwood uh in scripture it refers to it in revelation. Um, and it essentially means bitter. Um, and when you take the wormwood, I attest, it is bitter. It is (laughs) nasty. So I I've done this protocol and since, um, Tony Merkel's podcast, since I spoke about parasites there, Mitchell and I developed, um, well, I didn't develop it. Mitchell told me the protocol that he uses for parasites. And so since then, and every thing that I do when I talk about parasites, I include his protocol because um, he just is really knowledgeable and he wants people to do it slowly. Like I said, because you can get really sick people, you know, who have done, and I've, I've had some friends that have told me about, yeah, I did a parasite cleanse wrong. And I nearly ended up in the hospital. And so it's really important, like I said, to do it slowly, to have a clean diet. You know, you want to make sure that you're not feeding these parasites, these high carbs and, um, you know, GMOs and lots of food with sugar in them. Cause it, it's just like, you're laying out a feast right. for these parasites when you eat like that. So you have to clean your diet. You want to make sure you're still exercising. You're drinking plenty of water. Um, uh, but then there's, um, you know, he lays out this parasite, this protocol, and it's, it's not bad at all. Like my experience, as I said, I didn't have any experience where I had to run to the restroom, (laughs) but I do have friends that have done this, this protocol and that did happen for them. So I think it just is a matter of how much parasites you have in you and what needs to get cleansed. Um, but it's, it's gentle enough that you won't, um, experience, like a lot of headaches or, um, you know, cramping and stuff. I did have a little bit of cramping, a little bit of nausea, but it would pass in like 10 minutes. Um, so it wasn't something that, that stayed with me for a long time, but I've been off sugar for like four years. So that could be part of why, um, it wasn't as intense for me. So people that do eat sugar, um, you know, you might might want to be around a bathroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe go on a low carb diet for a month or two first.
0: Right. Then- that's actually, that's a great, that's a great idea is to clean your diet first, start eating healthy. And when I mean, clean your diet, it's like eat fresh fruit foods, um, not processed boxed, um, prepared foods, but eat things that are healthy and fresh and try and um, if you can cut out the sugar and it's, um, it can be hard, but it's well worth it.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. If it gets these things out of our mind and body, then it's worth it.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I I, I know we're kind of pressed on time here, but I just had a real quick, like one minute Ivermectin success story. For oh
0: me. yes, please.
1: Uh, my wife is a nurse. When COVID first hit, hit our area, I think it was just here for a few months, you know, um, being a nurse, she got COVID right away, mm. um, but she is more of a naturalistic, you know, homeopathic in, in her personal life, you know, that's that's where she's at, so she sought a holistic doctor, we had to drive like 60 miles to find one here, but we, we got a hold of him. And he prescribed her ivermectin. Now, when we had to fill it at the pharmacy, I had to go round and round with the with the pharmacist. Like, he actually called the doctor, got him on the phone to, just to fill the prescription for us. Mm. Um, it was a nightmare. But she took ivermectin, and I think it was three days total, maybe the fourth day. Fit to fight. You know, she was right. ready to go. She had to wait. What was it, ten or fifteen days to go back to work at that time, or whatever? But it was like within a long weekend, she was fine. You know, and there's no money there. Well, there was no money in it at the time. Right. I, I think I was a, that played a big part in it. But yeah, right. it's just, it was so demonized. But yeah, that's just one more. Feather for your cap, if you want it there for ivermectin, you know it. It really made it very clear that this antiparasitic was effective against something, you know. So does that make that a parasite? Do you know right. Does that
0: right? Well, so all pathogens are parasitic in nature. Right. Um, so there is definitely a parasitic property of um COVID.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Sanger, again, thank you so much. Absolutely. I, I, no, I I heard my accent when I said it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you don't have to apologize for your accent. I love it. I love it. Uh could
1: could you tell everybody where they could find you, your your uh your books, your your research, these uh these cleanses, all, all this stuff. Could you just plug away?
0: Yes, yes, happy to. So The best place to start is probably my website, which is no longer enslaved.com. And my book is called the roots of the federal reserve. It is available either on my website. Um, but you can go to Amazon and order it on Amazon. It's available in, um, paperback, Kindle, and also audible. So we just, um, my publisher and I just finished in March, um, the work on narrating the book. So I narrated it and she edited it and did an amazing job. So it's available on Audible. And then um, we are now working on translating it into Spanish um, so that it can reach the Spanish community. So I'm super excited about that. That will be probably another three months before the Spanish version is available. I'm also on um, YouTube and Rumble under No Longer Enslaved. And as I mentioned earlier, I have a seven part series called Spirit or Transformation Through Spiritual Mapping. I also have a 10 part series called The Impact of the Nephilim Agenda Today. And so if people want to dive deeper into understanding how this Nephilim agenda is affecting our daily lives, um, you know, listen to that 10 part series. Certainly my book is The Deep Dive. And then I'm also on uh, Instagram and Telegram under Laura Sanger, 444 Hertz. So that's how folks can find me. On my website too, I do monthly articles. And so if people want to receive those, you can sign up. Um, They're free of charge and I don't inundate people's inboxes. I send uh, one article per month um, so folks can sign up if they have an interest in receiving those
1: wonderful wonderful well thank you so much for coming on the show absolutely
0: uh, thanks for having me it's always great to speak to a new audience i enjoy it
1: yes absolutely this will this will be reaching uh new ears i have a uh, a lot of tony's listeners listen to this show but i have a lot of uh a lot of christian-based listeners that are they're going to love this and this is going to this is going to change lives and i love what your ministry is doing
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. And you have a a wonderful day and may God bless.
0: Okay. Take care.
1: You too. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want more content, if you want to submit your own story to be on the show, if you want to listen to past episodes, or if you want to donate to the show, you can do all of that through the bump So just go there uh, explore the website check it all out if you want to sign up to be a member it's super cheap it's just $1.75 a week you can cancel at any time get in on uh, all the the new latest and greatest stuff we have going on all right so again thanks for listening i love you god bless
0: with his
1: garment white and snow. with a voice
0: that
1: sounds like thunder walking on, on the street of gold his appears
0: is like lightning setting you, you. high upon his throne.
1: As 10,000 times
0: 10,000, say,
1: will my God be made at home. Glory, glory.
0: There's a river Falling yeah. from God's the yeah.
1: Where the tree <laughs> of life is blooming oh. Where the land <laughs> has not been told No more tears Personally, ready to submit your life to God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it really simply that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved it's that simple to be born again to start a new life as a child of God to join God's army to rise up against the evil forces that you know are all around you. You don't have to do it alone. I love you. Jesus loves you. And may God bless you. Need you to pray. So why?